Thank you, Lord, that there's a joy that has a, is bottomless in us. And when we're in your presence, we, we receive that and we operate in it and receive the benefit of it. So we thank you, Lord. Everything that you do is eternal. There's no limit to it. And we thank you. There's no limit to your goodness, no limit to your mercy, no limit to your love, no limit to your understanding. All of those things, Father, that we need on a daily basis are unlimited in you. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. So uh, today we're going to talk about the fact that I am has come to heal you. Amen. I am has come to heal you. Amen. We know we recognize that phrase from uh, the book of Exodus where um, God told uh, uh, Moses uh, that's who he was when Moses uh, asked uh, his name. He wanted he wanted some kind of way to explain himself uh, why he was coming to liberate the nation of Israel. He was coming to do the things that uh, God <clears throat> said that that he would do for them uh, over four hundred years ago. This this promise was made to the people of God, and God now was fulfilling it through Moses. Now, Moses had had a negative history with the nation of Israel and with Egypt. So he really was a man without a country, a man isolated and alone. And how many of you know that's probably where we were, at least mentally and emotionally, when we ran into God, when he accepted us and received us. Uh, he is very, very willing to go to those that, that, uh, are, are without connection, without a family, without home, without love, uh, without anything. And I think when we, we understand those, those situations that God generally will, 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 uh, connect with people because they're open to hear him, uh, that's our cue as believers to go and minister in those situations. You know, go to minister to those individuals. That's why uh, some of the types of ministries that we see are so fruitful. Uh, we see ministries to street people, homeless people, prisoners, people who are bereft of family and alone. Uh, we see that uh, traditionally the church uh, steps in to help people in those kind of bereft conditions because it is kind of an open door for God. He said, when your mother and father even forsake you, then I will take you up. Amen. Yeah. And he puts the solitary in families. And so when, when people are solitary and by themselves, that's the time that they need to connect with the family of God. You know, we are the family that God wants to place them in. And so, you know, my, my, my advice is go to God's family first and he will find the natural people that he wants to put you in, in with family into. Amen. Uh, you gotta have first things first because many times people are looking for people and people won't satisfy. You'd be very disappointed. So God is very jealous over us and he will put us in with him as a family first. 
And so when we understand his way of doing things, then I think we'll be more accepting of his help and his way of helping us. And also when we minister to people, you know, and let them know that God wants you into a spiritual family because the root of every problem is a spiritual problem. Amen. And he wants to satisfy that. So God meets Moses at, at what we call the burning bush. Amen. Uh, a phenomenon that happened uh, in the desert uh, in Exodus chapter 3 and verse, I'll go to chapter 3 first. This is Moses' encounter with God and God has to get his attention. Amen. Now, most of us, you know, Moses is a survivor. He's been out in the desert where he knows nobody. Uh, he's running from two distinct groups of people. The people, the, the culture, and the, the family that he was born into, the Hebrew people, and also the Egyptian people, his adopted people. So he's a man without a country and a man without a home. And he, but he has managed, managed to survive and have a family, um, a substitute family, uh, with, um, uh, um, um, what's his father's priest? What was the stepfather's? Jethro. Yeah, Jethro and his, who was a priest of own, whoever, wherever that is. But anyway, he wasn't, he wasn't Jewish. He wasn't a Hebrew. He didn't serve the same God Moses served. And so, or was born to serve. And so God has to get Moses back. Amen. Uh, Moses was was released and drawn out of the nation of Israel and drawn into the world of Egypt. And go, so God has to call, come and reclaim him as his own. And so God shows up with Moses and he begins to reveal himself to Moses. And I always like the way God reveals himself to some people. Uh, oftentimes, and, and it's just something I kind of, I haven't really studied it out or anything, but things you just notice uh, in the Bible uh, when God uh, calls out leaders, especially when he wants them to uh, step out and do something uh, that is is pivotal, that will change destiny and of a nation and a people and a culture. He will off, often, what I call, flex his muscles before them he'll show out a little bit he'll show them i got something for you because oftentimes these people are pretty rough folks you know god now moses is now a murderer and he's a fugitive and so he's evaded powers that were bigger than he was for 40 years so he's pretty good at what he does he was skillful in the knowledge of the Egyptians, so he knew everything about their culture, how to get away from them, how to evade them, all those things. And so he's been a man on the run for quite a while, and he's established a life apart from what he was doing. He probably feels like, hey, nothing's shaking. If they don't ever come for me, I'll just stay out here. But God, amen, God comes from him and God has a plan. And so God starts to burn up bushes in the desert and they're not consumed now what i'm told is that uh, their spontaneous fires happen all the time in desert places but they burn the whole tree that the bush that they're burning is consumed this one wasn't 
And so this was God flexing his muscle to Moses. Amen. Say, Moses, like, look here. Look what I got. Look what I can do. Amen. This is bigger than anything that you've ever done. God also, throughout his relationship with Moses, he continues to flex his muscle. Amen. Before Moses. Because Moses is like we say, he he's a bad boy. He's pretty tough. Anybody that's climbing mountains at 120 years of, come on, y'all. I mean, he ain't no pushover and no, no lightweight. And he's run from Pharaoh successfully for 40 years? I mean, uh, Richard Kimball couldn't do that. Remember people say, I'm going to Kimball on out of here, Kimball on in? Moses Kimballed on out in the desert and did better than Richard Kimball. So just, you know, don't play him. God knows how to convince people to serve him. He knew that God would, that Moses would not run after some lightweight. Now he lives in the house of a man who has power with another God. So God's going to have to show him something in order to convince him to follow him, convince him that he's different and he is God. And so Moses, God begins to deal with Moses. He begins to outline to Moses exactly what he wants him to do. Many times the work that you're called to do has something to do with your history. Got me? It really does. It has something to do with your history. Because it's got to make sense to you. It's got to sound appealing to you. It's got to sound right to you. Amen? It's It's got to click with something that you know something about. That's why God used so many different methods of healing people. A woman with the issue of blood, she was done with men. She was done with man. She was done with people, men handling her, trying to heal her. So when God says, hey, I got a man, you don't, you don't have to submit to nothing. You can take something from this guy. It appeals to her sense of don't touch me no more. I'm done with people putting their hands on me and not helping me. So God tells her, you don't have to do that. You can go take take your healing from this guy. Cool. Then she see, she sees 18 years of money coming, or 12 years of money coming back to her. Amen. Getting her stuff herself and being done with it. And so oftentimes the work that you're called to do has an appeal to you for a reason. I think people who quote unquote have been bullied should love to be intercessors and prayer warriors because they can go beat the devil up. Amen. Amen. If you can get them out of self-pity and and getting a lot of attention for what they've been through. If you can get them past what they've been through and get them into a, a new, a new way of living, then, then, you know, they'll be able to step into what God's called them to do and, and it'll fit like a hand fits a glove. I remember when, when the Lord called me to ministry and he was explaining to me, uh, what a watchman was and, and he showed me a vision of him, uh, uh, walking and I remember I had a, a, a caftan I used to wear you know those things they were like a long 
smock kind of thing. You just pull it over your head. And it looks like a seamless robe. I'm going to take a nap while y'all figure that one out. So I walked beside Jesus on the beach. And I always liked the beach, except that it was too hot for me. I'd have to go in after a short while, either that or go walk out in the ocean, you know, and cool off the whole nine yards. But if I started to tan too much, too fast, I had to go in, you know, all that kind of frou-frou stuff. But I always enjoyed it. It It always seemed like, a place where you could go and and just have peace and and just you know connect with God. I know God's everywhere. I'm not talking about hugging trees or worshiping nature or anything like that. But but he he created his creation for us to enjoy. And so I just would always in my imagination, you know, and I, and I was walking with Jesus and he had his arm over my shoulders. And he was talking to me like a brother or a friend or, you know, a close male friend. It was hard to know where to fit that in in my thinking. He has a special place. Only he can fill with us. So, so it, it'll seem like some things you're familiar with, but nah, not quite that, but you know. And he, every now and then he would whisper something to me and I would say, really? And I said, nah. And I'd stop and want to go back. He said, wait a minute, come here, come here, let me tell you some more, let me tell you some more. And that was him explaining to me what I would be able to do to the devil as a way of life. And eventually I was able to understand that it was, was this ministry, amen, addressing problems in the earth and making known to principalities and powers the manifold wisdom of God, and they would have to obey my word. You got me? Yours too. And so when I came to understand, and it looked like it was going to be so much fun. That's the part of it that attracted me. That it wouldn't be hard. This is something Jesus was sharing with me that was going to bring me a lot of fun, a lot of joy. And trust me, after five years of being depressed and clawing for a normal life, I was ready to do something to get the devil back and enjoy it. Amen. And so I'm all, I'm only saying that to say that's how he appeals to sometimes people when he calls them to do certain things. You know, that here's a devil beat you up for five years. Don't you want to get don't you don't you have something in your heart that says, boy, could I, if I could get in a place where I could steal from you, I'd do it every day. And that's what he wants to call us to. Amen. To uh, we're human beings. I mean, trust me, that ain't all bad. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you carry it out in the flesh, it's stupid. But it's something that you can carry out in the spirit with God's blessing. Because that's where Jesus' heart is. He's getting back at the devil every day. Every time he blesses one of his children, every time a soul is one, he is getting vengeance on the devil. He's reclaiming what the devil has stolen from him. He's reclaiming stolen property. Amen. And he gives us the honor of being able to participate in that with him. And so, and if you don't understand that about your Christian walk, uh, you're missing a very large part 
of what life is all about as a Christian. If you don't see spiritual authority as part uh, of what you're called to do, you're missing it. Amen. Uh, you're missing how these things happen. You're missing a part of knowledge and understanding of how spiritual things happen and how they work. And so it, it's been my supreme joy and pleasure <laughs> to take stuff back from the devil that he's stolen. I don't care what it is. And so, uh, and I'm not a devil chaser. I don't see a devil behind every bush. Come on now. Y'all know me better than that. But you know, and I'm not here, I don't inspect people that come in the door to see what they're packing or what they carry or what they got. You know, that kind of nonsense stuff. But I'm ready all the time to jump him and <laughs> wait at the street corner for him for a change to beat him up. Amen. And so God has to show Moses something to entice him. He's got to show him, I've got more power than Pharaoh. I've got more power, amen, than than the Hebrew people to bring you before. Well, they didn't have a law then, but, you know, I'm sure if they could find Moses, they'd probably have something to say to him because, you know, he was the one that they think caused trouble for them back in the day. And so, uh, anyway, God begins to court Moses. I call it a courtship. When God first finds us, he has to schmooze us a little bit. He has to romance us a little bit to show us that that he is somebody who loves us and, and we can love him back. And so part of what God is doing here in this chapter of Exodus, he's introducing himself to Moses. Because Moses was not raised in the Hebrew culture. He's That's his birthright. But he knows nothing about the culture. He doesn't even know the language. Amen. Uh, he has to have an interpreter for every time he speaks. Now, he can speak very plain to Pharaoh because he knows the Egyptian language. But he's he's kind of rusty with his Hebrew. And so he has to be able to be plainly understood by the Hebrew people. So God didn't lets him know he's going to reconnect him with his natural family. His brother Aaron would be his mouthpiece, and he would translate to the Hebrew people uh, what uh, what God wants Moses to do. So in Exodus chapter 3 and verse, uh, uh, let me start a little bit further. Uh, yeah, 3 verse 1, we can start there. Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert, came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, it's very important. God has to get your attention first. He has to get the attention of the person that he is is influencing. Amen. That's why some of our loved ones that aren't saved, God hasn't fully gotten their attention. Huh? And some of them he can't get their attention from us butting in all the time. Just saying, not throwing no shade, but if if you feel the shade, it's probably you. Amen. 
you know, we have to be careful. You know, you, you start, after a while, you start to run interference on God's plan. Amen. It gets to be your plan. Amen. You want to step in every time they get in trouble and don't have enough money. You want to ask God to bless them. That's okay if that's where God's leading. Amen. But sometimes God's trying to get their attention. If they would come to him themselves. Amen. They could get that blessing themselves. God wants to know them personally. Not through your filter. Amen. And so many times we we do. We interfere. Remember God even told Moses to quit interceding for these people. Amen. Just let me deal with them. If you trust me, you, you trust me all the way. And so anyway, he's, he's wanting to reveal himself as the great I am. This is, this is where we first find him. And so Moses, he gets Moses' attention and he turned aside and God called to him out of the middle of the bush by his name and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, I'm here. And he said, don't uh, come near any further. Take your shoes off for the fa- place where are you standing is holy ground. The first thing God wants us to do is make some kind of change that he can honor. Make some kind of, this is repentance. This is Moses understanding that there are some conditions. There are some, this is, this is not just the God of Midian, the one, this ain't your father-in-law's God. I'm a holy God. And so you're going to have to understand my holiness and start to respect me in a different way. I'll give you some rules and regulations that you got to abide by. And if you'll do this, then I'll let you draw closer. And so he said, don't come any closer. He said, the place where you're standing is holy. Moreover, he said, I am the God. I am. I am. I am. So this is Moses' first introduction to the God who am. That word really means I exist. I am alive. I'm not a statue. I'm not a carved figure. I am the living God. So he is the God who am, who always was, whoever will be. Amen. In some translations, the same word for I am is, is eh, yeah. And it means also it's translated not only, it's translated I am in every tense of the word. I used to be, I am becoming, so I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm the God who was and is and is to come. So he's all one God. And so when he introduces himself to Moses as the I am, what he is saying, I am the preexistent God. I was here before anything else was, and I'm still alive, and I'm still God. I haven't been removed from my place Of being God. So there's no higher God than I am. There's no other God above me. So I want you to put no other God before me. You've, you've come to the right place. You found the real one, baby. Amen. And so he is the real God. The one true and living. And he will be the same all the time. So he allows Moses 
to come into and that's why he says be careful around me Moses God will have to do this with Moses over and over and over again in in, in other words don't get casual with me I'm not that ain't who I am I am who I am and there's no other one ahead of me there's no other one greater than I am there's no other one that you need to go to other than I am Amen. And so when God starts introducing himself to Moses, he introduces himself as a holy God. Amen. I'm not a statue. I'm not somebody like your your father-in-law worships. I'm different. You got to come come toward me in a different fashion. In other words, slow your roll, Moses. Don't go come rushing up on me like that. Huh? I'm a holy God. Amen. And so he begins to train Moses, first of all, in how to relate to him. And so he says here, I am the God, in verse 6, of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. I did a little superstition. You know, your boy Moses, he got a little work. To, we, he's a work in progress, just like me and you. Amen. It's, you know, the, the superstition was, or the phrase was, no man can see God and live. So Moses goes to hiding from him. Hello. Yeah. When we want something and we want it and we just want it, we go to hiding from God. As much as we know we gotta have His help to get it, let me go run do this for God to realize what I'm doing. Huh? Let me just go do this little bit right here before he realize what I'm doing. Huh? Get all carried away and excited about stuff. Not knowing he's everywhere. Go, oh Lord, I done run into you over here. I thought I was running from you. I done run into you. Amen. So he, he says, and the Lord said in verse 7, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. He calls them my people. Because he's just continuing his phrase. He ain't paying attention to Moses hiding his face. In other words, Moses, if you was going to die from being in my presence, you'd have been dead already. So I've spared you even in my presence. So Moses is learning stuff about God. He says, hey, not everybody who, who is in God's presence drops dead. God gave me mercy to be able to stay here and talk to him. And the Lord says, I've surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I have come down from heaven to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up. So God comes down to bring us up. Amen. He never comes down to put us down. He never comes down to us in order for us to stay down. Whenever God comes down to us, it's an elevation all, all automatically. Just being in his presence is lifting us up. Amen. Just knowing that he cares about us is lifting us up. So he's going to bring them up out of the land, uh, that land into a good land, a large, in a land of 
uh, flowing with milk and honey into the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold the cry of the children of Israel has come up unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. I don't understand why oppressed people continually run elsewhere for their help. And we run into the government. You know, anybody you run to uh, other than God will hold you in that place of being dependent on them. Huh? You know, you see things like five generations of families on welfare. In your oppression from poverty, you run to the government instead of running to God. Just get on your knees in your room and ask God to bring you a job. Amen? In order to get out of poverty, you don't have to get a job anywhere. Amen? But many times you run to the wrong people for relief from your oppression. And God, the one who permanently delivers you, is waiting for you to come to him and ask him for what you need. Amen? Now, don't get defensive about welfare, okay? That's not what God promises us anyway. Amen? He is your welfare. He's for you no matter what situation you're in. Amen? He is He is for your good. Amen? And so he wants them out of dependency on Egypt, the government. Amen? He says, now come therefore and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go and tell Pharaoh that I should bring forth the children of Egypt out of it. Now, who am I to do all of this? The Lord says, I mean, uh, Moses said, and the Lord skips over that part because he don't have, he don't want to break Moses, hurt Moses feeling and say, you ain't nobody. You the same body you was five minutes ago when I called you. Amen. And don't think they going they going to move because of just you. And Moses begins to find out. The things about the God who is, who is speaking to. And he says, who am I that, that, that they would, that I would go to Pharaoh and, and who am I? Who's going to listen to me? And he said, certainly I will be with you. In other words, you ain't nobody. It's me that's going to be with you. And this will be a token to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people back, you're going to worship me on this mountain. Now, for all of us who want a token of faith from God that he heard us, you're not going to get it till you fully obey him. In other words, you don't just get a token or reminder or a promise of what he promises you. He wants you to get the real thing. And you only get that after you fully obey him. See, many times we're looking for, you know, we, we speak the scripture for like five minutes a day or three days straight in a row. And we want God to show up real big. I'm talking to the right people and I know it because I come here every week. Huh? We want real big results for real small stuff. 
So Moses, God tells Moses up front, you ain't getting nothing till you do everything I tell you to do. Amen. Why doesn't God just give us, you know, God just show me a little something. I, I've been doing the word for this and that. Well, you're back in the works again, number one. If we're working to show me how good you behave, we all know the deal. You got something else in your heart you want to do with your time instead of spending it with me, reading your Bible, and worshiping me and doing what you're supposed to do. I'm trying to get you in the habit of continually coming to me. (laughs) That's why they had ten plagues, ten, count them, ten, T-E-N, ten, ten plagues. Many times, God is training us to come to him for everything we need instead of getting a little result and running off with it and thinking we got everything. Amen? Because people good at that. You know, you got people, we've had people in the years, over the years in the ministry, we've had people come in here and think they can do what I do and they just got here last week. You got it? I'm serious. We've had people come in here and they come up and say, well, I rented a, 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 a building. I said, you did what? You just got saved. I said, you better go get your money back if you want God to be with you. And they get offended, you know, go storm off somewhere and you find out they ain't done nothing. They're not even in church no more. Now, how's God going to have you lead his flock? God loves people. He's not going to put you under trust people who aren't trustworthy. He loves you too much to do that. You can rent all the buildings you want to. But that doesn't mean God is going to come and draw people to you. Amen. Just saying. Just saying. Learn how to do the work at hand and be content. Amen. Start praying for your family. You know, people come up and want to say, God told me I'm going to go and uh, a lot of, I saw I had a dream with a lot of dark faces. I said, I don't know about them dark faces, but I don't know that many people, black, white, or brown, or purple. A sea of them, my goodness. I said, why don't you start with your family? Start, Start in your bathtub (laughs) before you get to the sea. Understand what I'm saying? It comes with faithfulness. Just, just do your little bath of, you know, or your basin ministry or your kitchen sink ministry. Start that first. Go whoop up on some dirty dishes or something, you know. Seriously, shit, that's how you show love to your family. Keep that, that sink empty. Of course, you know we got dishwashers. That's where I had all mine, but they waiting to be washed. <laughs> so why didn't God just have one plague? Well, think about it. Could have just had one biggie and wiped everything out, show Pharaoh who he was. He had to do that eventually. Amen. Ten times he made Moses go. Ten times. 
Pharaoh at one time, the Pharaohs were his, his parents. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So that's family. First place God tests us is with family. Are you going to give them the straight up word? Oh, they won't like me. They hate me enough already. Are you going to fix it up? (laughs) That's why God never changed what he told Moses to tell Pharaoh. Let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. Let my people go. How many times do you think Moses tried to figure out something he could tell Pharaoh different from what God told him? Huh? We good at trying to think for God. (laughs) If I say it like this, then they'll do what I say. I say it like this. It's a, a common human temptation. People who have developed cults, that's how they get started. Thinking they know more than God. The more damning ones, they take hell out of the picture. Look at Carlton Pearson. He's a spirit-filled Christian. He's on the board of ORU. He was with all the high-powered Christian people in this country. He was known worldwide. He had one of the first integrated Word of Faith churches. God had honored and blessed him. But then he started trying to figure out how a, a, a loving God would, would have hell to send people to. So he made up his mind nobody was going to hell and he started preaching it. You understand what I'm saying? So it's a, it's a human temptation to want to know more than God and want to correct God. Yeah, the same God you want to bless. You want to cor- want to bless your life. You want to correct him. Mm-hmm. Selah. <laughs> Selah means sit there. <laughs> and be real quiet. Let it sink in. Amen. So God has to get that out of us. He has to get the little G-O-D out of us so that we he can bring the big G-O-D into our lives. Let's get us off the throne. Get us from trying to know everything. No more than he knows. And he says, this will be a token to you that I have sent you. In other words, you're not going to be sure I sent you until this whole deal is over with. Huh? How many times we want 15 confirmations for? Huh? Two or three witnesses is enough. You don't have to keep telling people over and over again what God wants you to do. Huh? You don't need everybody's agreement on what God's telling you. Go do it. If he's talking to you, go do it. You got to prove yourself to him. You don't have to prove yourself to man. Huh? So he says, this is what you're going to get, Moses. After you've done everything I've told you to do, every time I tell you to do it, 
then you'll come back here and worship me, and that'll be your proof that I was with you. Ow! Yeah, no witness in your spirit, because I don't live inside of you. He didn't live inside of them at that time. Huh? No 15 confirmations. No going on Facebook and see if you can find somebody giving a word to say what you want to hear. You don't get none of that. Amen. God wants people who trust him and who will obey everything he tells them to do. He says, when you brought forth the people out of Egypt, in other words, when you've done, when you've been successful at this, you'll bring them back here and worship me on this mountain. And Moses said to God, behold, when I come to the children of Israel and shall say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you, they'll say to me, what is his name? And what shall I say to them? And Moses always kind of felt like there was going to be some surprise coming. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to go here and I'm going to say this. You ever done that? You know, you need to go do something and then you play it over and you rehearse it in your head. That's where, why Jesus slapped the disciples and said, stop it. Settle in your heart right now not to try to rehearse what you're going to say before you get there. He was talking specifically about when they bring you before Caesar, when they accuse you in the synagogues. But that goes for everything that God sends you to do. Because when you get there, you will not know. What God wants you to say. Sometimes you don't even know who you're going to run into when you get to places. Has that ever happened to you? I was, I was visiting Pastor Shirley and I'm always trying to, to get home before it gets dark. I don't like to try and find the white lines on the freeway. My lines, my eyes cross up and, uh, so I want to get there before dark. So I said, ah, I got to stop and get some. I, for some reason, I stopped on the east side to get food instead of waiting until I get on the west side. And it was getting dark. And and I was coming out of Heinen's parking lot. And I heard a tapping on the side of the the van. I was driving the ministry van at that time. And this little lady taps on the, I was going to say elderly, but I think she, I think I was older than she was when her just truth was told. But anyway, anywho, she's knocking on the window. And I rolled the window up. And she said, can you pray for me? And I was like, who are you? <laughs> who am I? I'm buying groceries, lady. I'm coming out of the park. And it, I just snapped back into who I really am. You know, my Superman outfit. I'm prayer warrior ball. But I said, certainly I'll pray for you. And, and she told me what it was. Or she had a grandchild that, that had some kind of disease and she had some kind of infection she couldn't get rid of and she didn't want to pass it on to any. It was just, you know, one of those situations where you knew you needed God to intervene. And I told her, I said, oh, okay. I said, I'll pray for you. I said, I said, you know, I said, I'm, I'm glad you stopped me. I said, um, I said, I have a healing ministry. I said, she said, I know who you are. I said, oh, okay, well, in which case, button my lip. Let me shut up before I mess this up real good. 
Anyhow, and I prayed for her. And she thanked me. She said, she said, I know God's healed me and just went on her way. I said, boy, this was the best altar call to ever try to have, you know? So you don't know where you might be and what you, now it, suppose I have been cutting up. I don't know who you are, lady, or let her peck and then just drive off. You know what I'm saying? Just be rude or something. And so, so it, it just showed me that God has what excuse me he wants you to say already prepared i don't care what situation you're in i don't care if you're going to buy something you know nobody wants to have to confront the car salesman you know don't sit up and rehearse what you're going to tell them jokers because they got more they got more come-ons than you got turnaways amen so you let God show you when you get there. You must get there first and let God show you when you get there. What he, that is God's principle. That is his way. You've got to show faith in him before he will give you anything to say, before he will even have you so, uh, have somebody there to meet you. You've got to, you got to give it all over to him and decide, God, I'm just going to wait until I get there. And when I get there, you'll show me what's next after I get there. And so he does that with Moses. He says, when I come to them and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, he said, what's his name? He said, what shall I call them? What shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am that I am. In other words, I am twice. He says, this shall you say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God said, moreover to Moses, thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is alive. That's what God, the message God wanted to convey through Moses is that I hear you. You've been crying out to me forever, and I have heard you because I am alive. I'm alive and I'm able to do something for you. What do you tell people who live in a land of idol worship? Who live in a land where God's never shown up, and they see them carvings, and they know what that means, and they hope a God shows up someday. You tell them, I am your God, I am alive, and I can do something for you. And as many times, Moses, as you have to tell them that, you tell them that. You keep telling them, I'm alive. You keep telling them, I heard. You keep telling them, I've come to deliver. You keep telling them the same thing over and over and over again. So Moses only has two messages. Let my people go, and I am sent me. Amen? And once you work them two messages, (laughs) and until you work them to death, You don't need nothing else from God. That's why the same scripture he gave you for healing the first day you got sick, is it works on the last day when that thing leaves you. You don't need 1,800 scriptures. Huh? You keep thinking your symptoms have changed on you and they need to hear something different. No, they just need to hear by his stripes you're healed over and over and over again. Maybe tell them until you believe it. There was more in this situation that God needed to convince than just Moses. 
you know, just Pharaoh, I mean. He had to convince Moses. He had to convince the children of Israel. And he had to convince Pharaoh. And so this message, this simple message, that's why the gospel never changes. Jesus Christ is same yesterday, today, and forever, wants you and loves you to repent of your sins so you can live for him, live holy for him. Sin is your problem. He has the remedy. And he'll give it to you freely if you'll repent. You'll turn around, confess your sin, let that man, let him take that off of you. And so God wants us to, to understand that he is the pre-existent God who was and is and is to come. And Jesus over and over again in the book of John, which is where we'll, we'll take our text today, said over and over again, I am. Amen. Uh, the book of John really is different from the other. They call those other ones synoptic gospels. In other words, they just tell stories. But this one, Jesus demonstrates his deity. In the book of John, he establishes himself as God. John 6.35, I am the bread of life. John 8.12, I am the light of the world. John 10.9, I am the door. 11 John 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. He said that at the tomb of Lazarus. And in in the 14.26, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. So and in John 8.28, he tells the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. Amen. And so he tells them that he is the same pre-existent God who created the universe, who was and is and is to come. So in, in John chapter five, which is where we're, our study story begins, if you'll turn there in verse one, you'll see the way the I am comes when he wants to heal us. Amen. God healed me and I hadn't been to a church. I hadn't been, nobody prayed for me. I was housebound and, and nobody could get to me with a healing message because every church I subsequently went to didn't believe in it. If you can imagine that. I mean, you guys are blessed because in the, in the 30 or so years, 35 years since I've been saved, the word of faith for healing and everything else has, has, is widely preached now. Amen. But but it, when I was saved, people believed in salvation, you know, a pocket of them. A lot of them didn't. You know, they just never preached it. And so uh, you could get saved, but you couldn't get healed from from God. You know, the same God who saved you is the God that heals you. And I needed healing. So God kept me under his wing so that he could teach me how to receive my healing. Same thing with Brother Hagen. He was at home housebound. All the churches that he tried to reach out to told him to get ready to be buried. You understand what I'm saying? And so God, God will sovereignly move. That's when the I am shows up. You need to know a God who's preexistent, who's alive right now, and who can do what you need him to do. That's what you need. And that's what we preach. We preach the same Jesus who was and is and is to come and was alive. So Jesus deliberately, the I am, deliberately approaches this man and asks him something. Amen. In John 5 verse 1, after this there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Bethesda means house of mercy. So we believe there is a church. It doesn't say it was in the temple, close to the temple, but we assume it was a place that perhaps the priests had designated as some kind of holy place. We know it was some kind of shrine. Because there was a pool close to this place where the porches was. Amen. It says has five porches. And in these lay a great multitude of impotent people. So it's some kind of a shrine. How do we know that? Because they're waiting for something. They're waiting for God. Shrine is a place where people wait for God. Like... uh uh, the what's the how do you pronounce Majagori or something like that where they got all these little uh uh Sou is one in in France Saint Teresa the little flower chick um, I'm no disrespect but you know what I'm saying trying to t- you know she's a Catholic nun and you know all that stuff and then they got some weeping statues and blood you know where blood come out all that kind of stuff those are shrines. Because they feel God will meet them there. That's all. So they rather enshrine God than to believe he is. You got me? So Jesus sees all of this and he comes to bust it up. See, when I am shows up, he breaks up all of your religion. He breaks up all your Protestantism, all your Catholicism, all of your saints, your cult of saints, and and all of that stuff. He comes break that stuff up because he don't like that. I'm just telling you, he don't like that stuff. Because he's God all by himself. He don't need a shrine. He don't need, you understand what I'm saying? Now he draws you to a gathering place. But we ain't sure God has been drawing all these people. Because when Jesus shows up, things are different. He operates differently than what they believe he's supposed to operate. So it says here, it says, for an angel, they're waiting for the moving of the water. In these lay a great multitude, great multitude, great multitude. See, when Jesus sees that, he sees his calling. Because after he begins to preach and, and minister to people, this same great multitude begins to follow him. So you either have a great multitude waiting on something at a shrine or you have a great multitude following the bread of life. So he sees this and he sees his peeps. Amen. He said, those people need to be following me because I'm the one who has what they need. So he just comes to bust up all this stuff. It says, verse 4, For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first went after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, certain, 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 certain things, certain things, certain things. He had an infirmity 38 years. 
Now, just between you and me, as a minister of the gospel, the 38-year sick person would not be my first pick. I get somebody that stubbed their toe on the way to church. Huh? A certain person. He was picked out by Jesus for a reason. See, it says certain. When you see that word, that means they stood out to Jesus for a reason. There's a reason. And that's what we want to find. God, what's the reason you get certain people? I just like that about God. He will show you why certain people get his attention. Because you want to be that certain person. You don't want to be 38 years laying down nowhere. But you do want to be that certain person that gets picked out. So he deliberately approaches this man. Been there 38 years. Now, I just feel like some of these stories and traditions. Um, now, this story about the angel troubling the water and the first thing, that's not scriptural. There's no scripture you can say that says, I'm not going to say it don't happen. Listen, them people who go on them pilgrimages to the different places and the, the bleeding statues, some of them people do get healed. So that is already established in scripture that God will show up at a shrine and heal people in spite of the fact that the shrine has nothing to do. It has no power in and of itself. But people do come there and release their faith. So God is bigger than their little objects and their, you know what I'm saying. He, he see, he's not, he's not threatened by our superstition. He's not threatened by our little religious things that we do. He's not threatened by any of that. He'll come in the midst of that when he sees faith and heal people anyway. And that's what Jesus did. He came in the midst of all of this waiting for an, uh, you know, an angel to trouble the waters. Huh? Number one, that pool they say was, was 21 steps down from where the porch was. So ain't no mercy there, folks. And you know what I'm talking about? Here we got house of mercy. Ain't no mercy there with all them steps. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Unless somebody just pushes you down them stairs and you roll over. If you're going to get healed, you might as well get healed and bruises and bumps off them steps too. That's about all the mercy you're going to get there. Huh? But God never told people to go and wait at a pool. But you know what? Honestly speaking, it's not really the people's fault. Because it looks like the temple and the priests are complicit in this situation here. Because religion has made it comfortable for people to wait for everything. In religion, God is, he's never 
I am. He's never present. He's never there. He either just left or is get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. He's never here yet to do what we need to have him do. He always coming or going. We always expecting, never getting. We're always winting, never there. You know, you kind of got to watch some of the stuff that we even use that's scriptural. Because if we don't set a definitive, I got it now, I'm expecting it any minute, and I thank you, God, for seeing my plight and having mercy on me and delivering the goods. Amen? That's a covenant. That's a covenant. The hardest thing is apparent, the, your biggest enemy is payday. Cause that's the day your kids know everything you promised them has come due. Huh? If you could break the payday curse. Yo, you could have a peaceful household. But your kids have set a date and a time on when you're gonna deliver the goods that you've been promising them. And that's payday. And God is not opposed to giving us a payday. Because he says faith is now. Huh? When you, uh, when you are anticipating the goods from God, know that it could happen at any time. When you get tired of waiting, when you get tired of just expecting, when you get tired of winning and say, God, I'm here. Deliver my goods to me right now. I'm ready to receive. Amen. So get your receiver out. So really, Jesus asks this man something. And he says, he says in verse 6, he says, um, when he saw him lying there, he knew that he had not been a long time in that case. In other words, hard cases don't bug Jesus. Thank you, Lord. He said to him, will you be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool. Well, this is all he knew. I call it your tradition and your false doctrine. Amen. Because they already had a covenant of healing with God that operated through the priesthood. And the priests are in the temple collecting all their tithes and offerings. What up with that? How come they can't go in there and get healed? Priests could pay for, pray for healing then just like they, you know, we can pray for it now. Amen? No, but they didn't really know how to charge people for healing. You got it? Why you think Jesus went in there with a cat of nine tails? Put some stripes on them Pharisees. <laughs> Ran everybody. I don't think he whipped people. He just got the animals out. You know, you got to understand. He was chasing animals out of there. But the people got scared. Amen. That's my $40 goat. That's my. Huh? He needs to chase the money changers out now. Too many things are done on the basis of being a respecter of persons. You know, you don't heal about, hear about anybody 
you know, we used to just listen to our testimonies about salvation. Now we we interested unless somebody famous is doing something. Huh? Justin Bieber goes to so and so's church. Huh? Yeah. I'm serious. And we're impressed. So, anyway, he asks him, will you be made whole? And he starts telling him his excuses and complaints. Now, listen, if, if, if you're in waiting, one of the ways you know you've been comfortable with it is you have what this man had. When he asked, Jesus said, can I heal you? Can I make you whole? Can I restore you to your family? Can I give you all the things that you've been expecting to get once you get up off this mat? And he comes with an explanation and excuse to why he can't. Amen. Before you get content in your waiting, start fighting off those excuses. It'll come when so-and-so or it'll come when such-and-such. Why can't that be now? And that's what Jesus comes to. The great I am comes to present that little question in our heads. Why can it not be now? Amen. And many times it's not now because we don't want to let go of the excuses. Because they make sense to our little religious self. Huh? Your little religious spirit. Listen, you're not. God doesn't expect you to heal you. So why you gotta make an excuse for why it didn't happen yet? He's not expecting you to deliver the goods to yourself. So why you gotta give an explanation for why you ain't down there in the pool? See, religion makes us responsible for our own condition when number one, the devil puts sickness on people. Your bad living didn't cause that. Huh? Your bad living don't help. But your bad living can't get you out of it either. You still got to wait on God to develop your faith to get rid of it. So all of these excuses, explanations become hindrances to our faith. When we get comfortable waiting We need to know our faith is hindered. Many times we're expecting things to move instantly when we speak because we've become accustomed to doing that. So sometimes we just gotten spoiled by God moving the first time we say something. Huh? We get that razzmatazz spirit. You know what I'm talking about. Get in the pool. Great woman of paste and flour, your shoes. So we get spoiled with the instantaneous. Sometimes God wants you to identify with people like this 38 year suffering man. Just a thought. If we're a priesthood, The Bible says that all priests are taken from among the people that they might identify 
with them. The reason God chooses us is so we can identify with people who suffer. People people who have been uh, mistreated. That happens to everybody. I mean, it ain't even worth talking about for most of us. You know what I'm saying? And and oftentimes when you think about somebody, your mind will go to what you did to somebody that's exactly like it or worse. So come on, y'all. Let's just be real. And so, so God develops the character of Christ in us sometimes by the things that we quote unquote suffer or allow. We have to allow some things until our faith is developed. But with the suffering, he gives us a way of escape so we can bear it. So understand that you have now faith to pull you out of pain. You have now faith to get you over into the realm of comfort. And, and sometimes that becomes the problem instead of the answer. Sometimes we're co- too comfortable and now we don't want to budge our faith to get us up off of the situation we're in. And so God wants us to, to learn how to respond to him when he comes up to us and tells us, look, I'm doing this now. Stop your winting, stop your waiting, stop your all this stuff. I'm doing this now. Amen. That's the time you sing, oh, happy day. Amen. Amen. Because he's come to wash your pain away. He's come to wash your symptoms away. He's come to do the whole thing. And so this guy gives him the excuses. He's trying to enlist some help. So he's well rehearsed in his excuse. Get unrehearsed in your excuse. Amen. You know, God, I don't know why I'm not healed yet, but you are healed. Amen. The, the reason you're beginning to doubt it is because your, your doubt is beginning to creep in and your confession is slipping. Amen. So this is the problem. Amen. Get your doubt out of there and get your confession back and just continue to stand on God's word. He's waiting for you to stand on it longer than a couple of days in a row or a couple of hours in a row and fight the good fight of faith that's in your head that's telling you that you got to wait because you don't got to wait. Huh? There is no because. So you got to let your your spirit man start calling the shots in your life instead of your flesh man telling you it's okay to go without it's okay to do this it's okay to do that I just don't want to be disappointed because last time I got excited because my I thought my healing was right there it didn't come it will you were closer than you thought you were before you let the devil talk you out of going back to that place go back to that place where you on edge and wait for it to happen any any minute huh you won't be disappointed. Your hope is in God. It's not in some angel to come and trouble something so you can jump in and roll down all them stone steps. Amen. <laughs> it's the truth. I read that a few days ago. I said, Lord, have mercy. You know, cause I try to find out where were these places? What was this? You know, is it, and it, it looks like it was a temple run. In fact, it's a shrine now. Show you how potent, how powerful religion is right now there are people that have dug this thing up and and there's a they say there's a picture of painted fresco on the wall there a carved insert of of an angel 
standing over that pool. So they're pretty sure it's this one. And to get there, you got all these steps you got to tumble down. Does that seem like mercy to you? Oh, my goodness. But anyway, we'll just move on. And so Jesus said, uh, he said, he tells him all this stuff before I, you know, pity story. While I'm coming, you know, I'm doing the best I can, God. Somebody else pushes me out of the way. And Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately. So this man must have had a dormant faith in him somewhere for his healing still. And this is why Jesus often would pick these people up. The ones that would respond appropriately and receive. They, there was something in them that wanted it at some time. So there's hope for us. Even when doubt comes to claim your promise and doubt comes to claim what God has for you, there's still hope for us. Because if, if God, if you believed God for real, you received it already. And he will come for your words, for your faith at some point. Amen. Even though your mouth is spouting excuses, your heart can still be engaged in your promise. Amen. Your mouth is at this point connected to your head. He wants your mouth connected to your heart. Amen. Thank God he forgives and he ignores a lot of our incoherent babblings. Huh? I can't get my healing because. You know. Now you know who invented the excuse game. The Pharisees. Well, you know, you could have gotten healed any day. It's a Sabbath. We can't heal people on Sunday. Well, you can't find your sheep Monday through Saturday. And they ain't thinking about getting healed on them days when they on the run either. Huh? So that's a lie right there. So they're the father of excuses. Impotent religious people make excuses all the time. They birth them lies. They can come with more excuses to tell you why you don't supposed to talk in tongues, why you're not supposed to receive this, that, and the other. They got more excuses then Heinz has varieties. In fact, they got tons of them. Amen. So Jesus says one thing to him. He doesn't try to argue with the excuses. Ministers, take note. <laughs> Don't go arguing with people when they tell you this kind of stuff. But you better have the goods. You better be re- ready with the command of God for them. And unless God tells you to lift somebody up out of wheelchair, don't go doing it. If you don't have no unction, you know, start with your own little aches and pains. Before you go yanking people places. Amen. (laughs) I'm serious. When he asked the man, will you be made whole? What Jesus is saying, will you let me heal you? Not will you work to get it? Will you let me? Healing is merely a matter of allowing Jesus to heal us. Just allowing. Just believe and you receive. That's your first allow. Just receive the word of healing and health. So he shows up as the advocate for this man. 
Jesus is his lawyer advising him to let go of all the excuses and to just let yourself be healed. I'm here to heal you, period. So he, Jesus has already argued this man's case at the throne of heaven. And he's come down with the goods for him. It's not even about refuting an argument. It's a done deal. When God sends us to people to pray for them, it's a done deal, folks. It's not what you could find out about how they live. Let's inspect you. It's fair is fair. But healing is always a matter of allowing. Your faith allows God to come in and do what he wants to do. Do what he's promised to do. So, so this man put his trust in waiting instead of receiving. He was just waiting for somebody to give him some truth about how to get his healing. Amen? And that's what we do when we God sends us to minister to people. Amen? He sends us with truth to give them the truth. He's our God loves you. He's already healed you. Can you just receive it? Amen? Amen. And so he says... <clears throat> When, when this waiting thing is, is something God will bypass in us in order to get the goods to us. Amen. The excuses get bypassed. The, the wonder why get bypassed. The insecurities get bypassed. All of that is hindering our faith. Those are the adversaries at the door of opportunity of receiving. Amen. And so God bypasses all that. You can say it if you want to, but if today is your day, he will bypass all of it and tell you it don't matter. Today is your day. Rise and take up your mat and walk. Amen. And that's what he told this young man. In other words, pick up your mat of excuses. Pick up your mat of contentment waiting. Pick up this stuff so you don't come back here. anymore. It's a new day for you. So he puts him on a brand new path when he heals him. He opens the door for him to be able to do something different. Amen? And oftentimes, that's what needs to take place in us. The desire for a whole new way of doing things sometimes is 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 important, an important step of accepting a whole new door of opportunity when we get up and, and get our healing. Amen? Sometimes God wants us to go a whole different new way. And and infirmity will hinder us from doing the old way so we can give way to the new way. Amen? And so when that waiting is over, it's take up all of that stuff that was was important for your waiting. Take it all up. Pick it all up. He says to him in verse 8, Rise, take up your bed and walk. Your bed is your place of comfort in your affliction. Pick that up. Get rid of that. Toss it out. Throw it with you. And immediately he was made whole. When he made an effort to get up himself, he was made whole. And he says, and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. So he did exactly what Jesus instructed him to do and received his healing. Suppose he had walked and left a bed there. God never tells us to do something that's not essential. Huh? 
he to crawl back. You understand what I'm saying? So crawl back, get your bed, pick it up and take it. Make it permanent this time. See, there's a lot of little comfort things that we keep in our midst so that we don't have to get the full thing. You understand me? A lot of little things that we have in place that that we want. And then the other part, too, is the enemy will come and try to add comforts to your life in spite of your faith. Sometimes he'll want to take you backwards in your faith by adding crutches to your life. And and I'm not saying, I'm not talking about physical aids that you might need in the interim to get you around, to support you to get you around. But I'm talking about some of the things that he may bring into your life that will make you dependent and get you comfortable there. So that's just a matter of asking God. God, do I receive this help from this person? Is that going to help me to get to the place where I'm fully functional? Or do I need to let that go and just depend on you day by day? Because my day is coming. Amen. To walk away from this whole thing. That's why Jesus had no man show up. See, this thing here, when you you know men can keep you in a a dependent place where you don't want to be? When he said, I have no man, Jesus probably said, well, praise God, I like you. I like you because you ain't got nobody that can stand between me and you and what I want to do for you. So when God can remove people as crutches from your life, huh? the mom and the dad that I want always want to float, you know, children alone. Instead of making them, you know, hey, if they're going to put you out, I want to see that because I've been praying for that myself. You serve the living God. You serve I am. The God who is alive and wants to show your kids he's alive. Amen. That's who you serve. Yeah. And so we have to understand these things, folks. Jesus wants to do this. He has wanted to do it from the foundation of the earth. And when I am shows up, he shows to do it now. Amen. All right. Well, Father, we thank you for your word and for understanding. Thank you, Lord, that you are the great I am. You're the God who takes away our waiting, who takes away our worrying, who takes away our fear, who takes away every hindrance from us. And we thank you, Lord, for being I am. Your I am today, your I am yesterday, your I am before, before we even got into the place that we're now, you am. And you're here with us now to do exactly what you want to do in our lives. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, we understand you, we expect everything that you've promised to us Father from the foundation of the earth and we thank you so much for it Lord in Jesus name praise God alright we'll do our confession I don't have Rona and she don't have me I can't get Rona (laughs) and she can't get me and I thank the great I am that right now I am Healed. Amen, amen, amen again. It is so decreed. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Amen.